Let's just start this whole fucking thing over. <laughs> Get it together, Dials. <laughs> I'm already psyching myself out. Welcome to Cancer for Breakfast with Amy and Steph. I'm Amy. And I'm Steph. try to make cancer for breakfast safe and comfortable for everyone, it may not be suitable for all audiences and is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors. We didn't even go to podcasting school. <laughs> How's it going? It's going just fine. Hey, it was really good to see you last week. Some of our listeners might have seen on Instagram. We were in real life-ing. Yeah, it was so fun to see you. We got to have lunch together and X-Ray FM was so awesome to let us borrow their studio to record in. Yeah, so we recorded an episode like any professional radio station in the same booth together on microphones looking at each other, which I know it sounds like we're in the same room. We're not. But we're, we're not. We're in different cities. Um, but then what happened? It was a fail. I don't know what happened. We still can't figure it out. But there were like weird pops every few seconds yeah. and weird like. <laughs> I'm sure it was my fault. I think that when I exported it, I like did something weird. It's It's not the radio station's fault. The moral of the story, it was it was too professional for us. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, but we got some nice photos where we can pretend that we're professional. That's right. Should we ever need them? It's so stupid. <laughs> Jesus, what a fail. That's what right. a fail. And it was unbearably hot in there, too. So, you know what? It's fine. It was an experience. We did it. We made it. We're here back in our closets. You know what? Fuck that radio station. Yeah. <laughs> oh, let's let the cancer podcast record for free. You know what? Yeah. But, yeah, we'll post some of the pictures just because it was fun to be in the same room together. And, you know, there were some jokes in that episode that no one will ever hear. That's right. I mean... We sweated a lot. We ate some sandwiches. Not in the studio. Not in the studio. You're not allowed to Never. do that. We didn't bring so much as a water bottle into the studio. <laughs> you know what, though? Speaking of sweating. Don't you do <laughs> I'm going to. I speak of sweating so often. <laughs> we have been talking about exercising, you and me. Should we, like, let our friends in on it? Oh, yes. Totally. I got a free exercise bike off of Facebook Marketplace. Love it. And it's like a real spin bike, you know, like like a spin bike. Yes. Like at the gym. Yeah. And what I like to do, because I am too cheap a bitch for a real Peloton or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I just uh, go on YouTube and I like to put on a video mm -hmm. of like a spin class. Okay. And this is my cut rate version. You're saying that as if that's so crazy. I'm just looking around the room at all the Peloton people being like, why isn't everyone just doing that? I mean, right? I mean, I get that Peloton is great and all of that stuff, but... Is it though? I mean... Is it, Amy? Yeah, I believe so. I 
I firmly believe when people are obsessed with things to the point where they don't shut up about it. Like, I believe that, um, what's that? CrossFit. I wholeheartedly believe CrossFit is amazing and changes lives and that I would love it if I actually did it. Doesn't mean I want to try it. I don't think all those people are lying. Because I see everything as a capitalist scam and I'm just always trying to find creative workarounds so I don't have to buy in. Can I tell you another creative workaround? I don't own a spin bike, but this is the reason I want to get one is because what I do own is a, um, what is it called? Virtual reality headset thing. Mm, like a, yeah, what yeah, is, yeah. What kind is it? Oculus? Yes, I have an Oculus too. Um, clearly I use it all the time. I can't even <laughs> know what it's called. Um, but you can actually get on your bike and have a pedal sensor just on the pedal. And then like, I think you might need like a heart rate monitor too, but it, you can just be like, racing or like on a trail and doing that for 45 minutes is so much more fun than just like even taking a class on YouTube or whatever. I don't know, but I'm going to get a bike so I can do that, but I can do all these other exercise things with that, which is so recommended right now. I'm telling you, especially during this stupid ass pandemic, if you can't be going to the gym, if you're immune compromised, Mm -hmm. I don't know how much they cost, like what, three fifty or something like that. This is not cheap, but when you look at like a gym membership or something. Yeah. It's like a good gift, you know? Like put it on your wish list or whatever. Put it on your wish list. Or treat yourself. Who cares? But also because it's been so smoky. It's like the entire West Coast of the United States is on fire. So mm-hmm. you can't go outside and ride our bikes. Yeah. Not that I would anyway, because I'm way too self-conscious these days. But oh. my neighbors are just going to see me like huffing and puffing up the very small hill <laughs> by my house. No, thanks. Oh, they don't care. Come now. They love you. I mean, I know. But they might take pictures of me and then post them on next door or something. <laughs> Should we offer this woman water or would that be rude? (laughs) Oh, anyway, we were talking about how we need some motivation to get on the exercise Mm -hmm. bike, as it were. (laughs) (laughs) And um, if you guys are also struggling with exercising, join us. Would you like to ride with us? Um, Yeah. I don't know how we could maybe all encourage each other. I don't necessarily want our Instagram to turn into like a fitness place that we're constantly posting about that stuff or no. Oh, you know what we could do? You know what we could do? We could have like an accountability post every week in the Facebook group. Oh, that's a good idea. Join our Facebook group. We'll do it there. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. And I think whatever anybody wants to set, whatever goals for weekly exercise, if you are going through active treatment right now and you don't want to do whatever you will be doing once you're done. Full disclosure, I hate exercise. And so I my goal is like 20 minutes, three times a week. It's a very low goal. I don't hate exercise. I love it, but I hate getting started. Yeah. Like I know for a fact if I just went to the gym, not that I can go to the gym right now, but in the past when I've gone to the gym, the first two weeks do kind of suck. Mm-hmm. But then after that, you feel so good and I almost feel addicted to going like where it's like a huge highlight for me and I feel so good. And then my body starts feeling like it's changing. And then finally it does change after that. Yeah. 
the amount of time I will put off to just get to starting that first two weeks is amazing with having that knowledge in my head where I know it's great. It's just like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Yeah, I know. Same. And it's like, this brings your cancer risk down yeah. for recurrence. Mm-hmm. You will get a gigantic shot in your fucking stomach for like less of a percentage rate of what <laughs> doing exercise would do. Like, yeah. that's what I think about sometimes. Where I'm like, what am I, why am I not doing this shit? It's also really good for GI symptoms, which I struggle with, as everybody knows. But like people in active treatment, you know, as much as you can tolerate, they say like, a little bit of exercise every day it helps combat fatigue. It helps with your GI shit. Hell yeah. So yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm giving it a try because I know it's good for me. Totally. I've got my routine thing all set up. I'm ready. Yeah. Sort of. Even just walking the amount of time that they say is recommended per week yeah, is so doable. I've been trying to do that more and just take the stroller out and just kind of go in the evenings to like ease into the evening for my kid and also it's cooler out and yeah um one thing that was kind of keeping me back because it is so hot outside and I've gained weight from these stupid menopause shots and the AI and everything is like all my workout clothes are old or don't fit right mm-hmm. and there's something about going to exercise when you have pants that fit you weird on your you know or, or shorts that are like hiking up or whatever yeah and so I went when I was down visiting my fam I was like I'm gonna go buy new running shoes I'm gonna go buy like three workout outfits yes I was gonna say that too treat yourself to something fun to wear right because if you just have it it's all just like there it's in the drawer where your workout clothes go and you just throw it on and feel comfortable it's so much better And I was asking my mom and her boyfriend where I should go. And he was like, and this is like Medford, Oregon. So, you know, it's like, am I going to the mall or am I going to the strip mall or whatever, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And he's like, Dick's Sporting Goods has good stuff and they're not actually that crappy of a company. And I was like, whatever, I'll go to Dick's Sporting Goods. Like, I've never been to this place. I don't even know anything. Yeah. And it was so funny because I was trying on like Nike shorts and Nike whatever. Yeah. And then I just had all these different items. And then every time I'd try something on and be like, actually, these shorts are, I like these. I'd take them off and I looked at the brand and it would be Dick's Sporting Goods, like their home brand. <laughs> and I bought like, like, I'm not joking you, every single thing I bought ended up being Dick's Sporting Goods, where I was just laughing. I was like, I have never been in this weird ass store. And then like, it's obviously cheaper. They've got your number. Yeah, I guess so. This is not an ad. Clearly, I <laughs> the last place we would be like, that's advertised for Dick's Sporting Goods. Anyway, I just thought it was funny where I was just like, I guess I'm, I'm a believer. Yeah. Way to go. Seriously, though, people, treat yourself to a cute outfit, something that you feel good in, that fits you, whatever it takes to get you on the exercise train or bike or moving your body elliptical or sidewalk. Yeah. But truly, what is it? 150 minutes a day of walking a day <laughs> <See you> later <laughs> a week. Isn't that it? I think it is. I think that's the recommendation. Yeah. And then like less than that if it's more aerobic it's totally doable yeah yeah fuck it join us totally um are we gonna talk about 
advice for newbies today? Newbies. Yeah. We've been teasing it for quite a while now. But we solicited lots of advice for people who are newly diagnosed, early stagers. We're going to mm-hmm. do another episode that is for the newly diagnosed, advanced or late stage people. Mm-hmm. I am one of you. Um, but people really came through and gave us a lot of really good advice. They did. And if you're newly diagnosed and you're listening to this episode, it sucks. We're sorry. Thank you for trusting us and listening because I know how scary it is. I like to always say that if I had been going through treatment and this podcast existed, I would probably be too scared to listen to it Mm -hmm. because I was so scared of everything. So with that in mind, we'll be careful with you. It sucks, but... You're going to do it. You're going to be able to do every appointment. Yeah. So some of our listeners wanted um, to be anonymous, which is always cool with us. You don't have to share your name or your handle on Instagram or whatever when you send us messages or emails. And even if it's like a one-liner, there were some really good one-liners that people sent us. Mm -hmm. Like somebody said, don't worry about the wisdom or life lessons. Straight up. Totally. Everything, it doesn't have a meaning. Sometimes life is just randomly shitty and you get cancer. And you don't have to become better from it. No, you can be pissed. And you might become better in certain ways, but I guarantee most of those ways you would probably trade (laughs) to like not have had the experience. Uh Uh-huh. Like I was thinking today how I do feel like I am wiser. I feel... You know, and I'm done with treatment. I've been done for a year of stage 2B breast cancer. I feel like I understand the world in a completely different way. And I understand, I think, humanity in a different way and a little bit. And just, yeah, um, just like the depth of experience can change human beings and how I see other human beings or past relationships with people that I had that I didn't understand them as. Yeah. Where they were coming from. And now I can just completely say, oh, that's why that person must be like that because of this crazy stuff they went through that I had no idea, you know. But <laughs> wouldn't you rather still be a naive dumb bitch? <laughs> I absolutely would rather be a naive dumb bitch. Yes. Um, somebody else said it doesn't always feel so acute, which we say all the time. That's always like the first thing I tell people is it feels like you're dying every second of the day when you're first Mm -hmm. diagnosed. Totally. And then at some point you're just like rambling about dick sporting goods. (laughs) (laughs) My ass looks great in these shorts. (laughs) You make it. You make it through. You do. Um, Always get a second opinion is some really good advice 100 percent. i will talk for forever and ever about the reason why i believe you should get a second opinion but doctors expect it you're not hurting anybody's feelings even Mm -hmm. if they tell you the exact same thing as the first doctor you saw it's still good info yeah and that solidifies that you're on the right path so when you are you know six months into treatment I'm just imagining people that just got diagnosed being like, six months? You mean I'm going to be in treatment for six months? Because that's how I was at first. I was like, how long is this going to be? How long? When, when am I going to be done? Yeah. Um, anyway, it might be six months. It might be a year. It might be eight months. It might be, you know, yeah. two months. Who knows? But yeah, you're, you'll be like in the process of treatment and then you will like 
see that somebody else did something in a different order than you did who has the same stage and like Mm -hmm. some similar features to their cancer so you're like wait why did they get surgery first and i'm doing chemo first and like what you know like and you start freaking out but if you've had two different opinions they both said to do it a certain way and maybe that second doctor you won't switch to that's not the point of a second opinion Mm -hmm. but perhaps that second doctor might just like explain it in a slightly different way or use some sort of metaphor that really clicks for you about what's going on or some statistic that your first oncologist didn't throw out yeah i didn't get a second opinion which i totally am like what the fuck but i didn't realize that you know your insurance encourages it because you know like they are going to save money in the long run if you do better. Right. You know? Absolutely. And if they do it right the first time or if they have the most effective treatment, they're going to save money. So, yeah, I just got referred to my oncologist by my doctor and my doctor was like, she's great. She's completely like who I would recommend. And she talked her up and everything. And then I met her and she is great and she's freaking wonderful. And I totally do trust her. So in my head, I was like, why would I get a second opinion? Yeah. But now I'm like, it doesn't mean you want to get a different oncologist. That's not what it means. So I really wish I would have just to see what else is out there, you know? Yeah. For- yeah. And they are used to it. They're so used to it. They, they, you know, ideally would work in like a collegial atmosphere where there are multiple oncologists. Like if they mm-hmm. take your case to the tumor board or whatever, which happened for both of us, um, they are doing a discussion about your case with other doctors. It's a totally, totally normal thing. So um, yeah. it's it's good to, I think, have as many eyes on your case as possible. Yeah. And also just like different facilities too. Like yeah. seeing what's what they've got going on at different places. But anyway, yeah, do that. And do that for surgery. If you're getting surgery, do that for radiation, you know, because... Not everything is like set in stone of recommendations, like, Mm -hmm. you know, and not everybody is following the exact same most recent studies and all that stuff, you know? Yeah. So who knows? Um, Monica has a hot tip. She says people don't understand and our best bet is finding others in the community. It's the closest we can get to understanding, I think, even if we all have different stories. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Totally. I agree. I mean, that's like our aim with this whole podcast. Oh, yeah. And it's also like that's one of the things that is good about this experience, which it's so weird to say something is good, but it it really is. But, you know, at the same time, you'd probably trade not having it. Of course. (laughs) But honestly, like no one understands like other people who are going through it. Yeah. They just don't. I mean, find a support group, even if it's online, you know, join a Facebook group. Totally. Um, Just reach out, find your people, because Monica is absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Even the people who love you the most are not going to get it. They're not. And having a way to meet people who are at a similar point in their treatment as you are is like invaluable. Mm hmm. It's almost like being pregnant at the same time with somebody where you can be like, wait, are you kind of like feeling weird where your heart is kind of racing, you know, like something at different points at the same time. So like if you're going through the same type of chemo and somebody else is doing it, it is so great to have people you can text at one in the morning when you're both like 
jacked up on steroids after chemo <laughs> or whatever and just yep. about symptoms because it does change and and also they probably have a different oncologist than you have and maybe their oncologist said something that your oncologist didn't but then you hear from them and yada yada but the way to meet those people is usually a local support group mm-hmm. absolutely good one yeah um let's see oh somebody said they were surprised by how many of the meds that were prescribed could just be substituted by good old weed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not the chemo or the, the cancer medication. <laughs> no, no. But the palliative meds. Yeah. Side effects. Yes. Yes. For like sure. Anti-nausea meds and stuff. Right. Yeah. And, you know, there are hopefully people in your life who can advise you on that, like maybe your integrative medicine professionals, if that's available to you. Um, I think like, luckily, as cannabis gets legalized in more and more states, people are using it more and more and it's becoming less stigmatized because obviously cancer people have been using weed for mm-hmm. time immemorial. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. Um, Somebody else says that they learned that they're strong enough to make it even when the goalposts keep changing, which they will. They always do. Mm -hmm. And like, that's a crazy thing that I feel like people don't realize when they sign up for cancer, because so much of our medical experience is like, here's the problem. Here's the solution. That's it. Right. You know, you Mm -hmm. break a bone, you get it set and then you're healed. Right. But with cancer, it's like you have cancer. You can't get the whole picture until there's like a surgeon in your body sometimes. Mm -hmm. And they're finding out bits and pieces of information and moving along in your treatment plan. And that's a really, really, really fucking hard place to be in where you feel like the new information is not always good. Um, Sometimes it's really scary. Right. And there are different tests that they will do that you have to wait for a certain point in your treatment to even get that tested like if you're doing chemo first and then you get surgery later and then i don't know or like getting the um, genetic testing at first you know you have to just keep waiting i just remember thinking like oh my god i can't wait to go see my oncologist to finally figure out if i need chemo and to finally figure out you know when my surgery is and all of this stuff and when this is going to be over yeah and realizing no she's just telling me like okay you're gonna go see a genetic testing specialist and then you're gonna see me in a week and then you're gonna do you know and I'm just like what you know like do I need chemo we don't know yet you know and probably not and then it's like I did that's kind of the goals post changing doesn't mean you're gonna need chemo if they say you're not gonna need chemo and it doesn't mean your tumor is going to be huge if they think that it's small and it doesn't mean that chemo is not going to be working if they think it's good, you know, but it is very unsettling when you don't have all the freaking details. Mm-hmm. But sorry. like this person said, you are strong enough to make it just like hang in there, you know, hang in there. Yes. And if you think you're not going to need chemo and you need chemo, you can do chemo like you mm-hmm. can do it. You can do it. Uh, this person says cancer tourists are awkward. There are awkward situations 
where the people that we haven't seen in like 10 years suddenly want to be a part of this journey and post about it, etc. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So we call them grief tourists often. Yep. Where suddenly out of the woodwork. They're there. Mm-hmm. And they're just like emotional leeches. You know, they don't ever offer anything. Well, not ever, but usually they don't. Yeah. I don't know what they get out of it. I guess just the drama, but boo, boo on them. Yeah. You feel like kind of exposed and like, um, it's just creepy sometimes. It is. And you can draw boundaries with these people or delegate that task to somebody else who's close to you. But you don't have to entertain all of this shit that people throw at you. You can say, I don't feel like talking about that with you or right now or I'm not sharing about that part of my journey. Yeah. Whatever. Or like I'm really overwhelmed right now and a lot of people are reaching out to me. So how about I'll let you know if I need something or I'll reach out to you so that they'll just give you space. and Right. And that's where I think like a caring bridge account can really come in handy where you can Mm -hmm. just update everybody at once. It's like a blog type situation Mm -hmm. and it's free and you can make it so people have to register. So your your stuff isn't just freely available on the Internet. Right. So, yeah, definitely. I I recommend a caring bridge dot com site or dot org. I don't remember. Anyway. Great. Google it. Google it. (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> don't Google it is the general advice that we have. <laughs> yeah, don't Google it. That's the next one. Don't Google fucking anything other than Caring Bridge. That's right. Um, you'll lose family or friends for multiple reasons that cancer just escalated and put into fast forward in the wrong direction. Or sometimes it's the right direction, you know, like mm-hmm. I totally take this person's point. Um, but I also think that cancer can work as a total uh, sieve for the people <laughs> that are actually valuable in your life. You see totally. who's going to show up. I mean, at this point, if not now, when are you going to be a good friend? You know? Yeah. Like of all the shit you can go through, like if you're just somebody that's going to show up for a good time and then when shit hits the fan you're nowhere to be found then like i do not want to have a good time with you then right they don't deserve your good time jessica i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) but yeah and you might not lose friends and your family might be totally supportive and wonderful but from our experience we hear all the time from the people we meet and that we know even if it's just like getting it off your chest about some of the annoyances of the people that are close to you that are just not hitting that nail on the head yeah, for support or being appropriate or being helpful. And in the other direction is the grief tourist thing. Some people just cannot handle it. They're super triggered by your illness. Mm -hmm. And I think I have been more willing to be understanding when those people have been up front with me and said, Hey, like, I love you and I'm thinking about you or whatever. Like I, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm sorry that I haven't been there. It's just like really scary and triggering for me. And I get it. Like, I totally get that. Mm-hmm. But then there are the other people who have just peaced out right? and they can have a nice life, I guess. If you've listened to all of the Cancer for Breakfast episodes, I've told a few stories about a friend of mine who I lost during this. Mm-hmm. Who And I used a few examples of some of the reasons why that are all a little bit funny. But can I tell you one of the other things she said? I wish you would. 
<laughs> um, one of the times she actually reached out to me, which was like twice in a year or something. But she said, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, told her whatever. I don't know. You're like, bad. I have cancer. <laughs> I'm, thanks for reaching out. For, you know, um, anyway. And then I said, how are you doing? And she said, uh, I've just been dealing with a bunch of crap, but don't worry about it, which is also something people will do is suddenly your friends won't tell you anything going on in their life oh God. because they think that since you're going through something shitty that like they're not allowed to speak, mm-hmm. which is very annoying, too, because you're like, yeah, oh, like, mm-hmm. but in this case, I said, just tell me what's going on. You're allowed to have things going on in your life, too. And if you're having a bad yeah. time, I just want to know. Yeah. And she said, <clears throat> I'm just feeling really bummed out because I thought I was going to get a commercial as like a surfer. And then they ended up choosing this younger surfer than me for the commercial. Mm-hmm. So I've just been feeling really let down. That must have been so hard for her. Yeah. I seriously just wrote back and was like, oh, wow. Or just, you know, like, I just was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, not that you can't have things going on in your life that are bumming you out or whatever, but like you're literally the one that told me you're having a hard time or that some shit had gone wrong. Like you brought that up already. Like yeah. you chose to bring that to the table. Yeah. And that is some stupid ass bullshit. <laughs> like there was a cuter surfer than you that got the fucking commercial bitch. <laughs> oh my God, this person, how do they move through life? <sighs> they have a lot of fun. Oh my God. Well, not that much fun because they didn't get that commercial. Well, Anyway, we also talk a lot of shit on this podcast, so. We sure, sure do. Welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so the next one, your relationships with ourselves. So since it's hard to trust our bodies again, there's weight gain, there's weight loss, there's stretch marks, there's scars. Self-love is so important, but it is a process that never slows. Never slops. That, Never slops. That's really funny because the T did look like an L. <laughs> My self-love always slops. <laughs> anyway, it, it's a process that never stops. And those low days can be very low. And there's also survivor's guilt. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a lot. It's true. Your body goes through a really fucked up thing. And um, it's hard. It's hard to trust your body. It's hard to, like live in your body that you maybe feel has betrayed you and you Mm -hmm. you can't extricate yourself from this like broken thing yeah it's really hard so it's definitely a hard process it's also really hard when you didn't know anything was wrong maybe maybe you had no symptoms Mm -hmm. it's just hard when you're being told facts about your body and then you're not maybe feeling that or like if you had breast cancer and you couldn't feel your lump and feeling on a mammogram but you thought everything was great you know that's such a good point and I I do think about that a lot when people ask me how I am even though I'm I'm a late stage person but with breast cancer so often you don't really have any negative physical symptoms like sometimes you'll especially with like inflammatory breast cancer there will be something that's bothering you but Mm -hmm. the lumps aren't usually painful you know some people don't even have a lump and so It's so weird to go from like, I don't feel that there's anything wrong with my body to like taking these medications and and doing these procedures and stuff that have a lot of negative impacts on your body. Mm -hmm. 
And that's a hard thing to reconcile for a lot of us, I think. It is for me. Totally. It's funny. When I was diagnosed, I kept asking my doctor about other symptoms I was having that I was so scared to ask her, like just thinking like this is going to mean something awful that she's yeah. going to be like, oh, wait a minute. that That's how you were feeling? In that case, like, yeah. go buy a coffin. <laughs> <laughs> we need a drink every time we make that. <laughs> yes. Every time there's a cremation or coffin buying joke. <laughs> See, people, you are you were just diagnosed, but someday you'll get to the point where you're making coffin jokes. <laughs> <laughs> just keep following us. <laughs> um, it's true. But, you know, like I had had kind of um, this achiness in my left arm and my it was like kind of throbby. And of course, I think I'd gone to the doctor about it because if you have anything weird with your left arm, of course, they think you're having a heart attack or something. Yeah. It was just kind of like achy and felt weird. And then um, they couldn't find anything wrong with me. And they said, you know, everything's looking good and whatever. So maybe you just have like a strain or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. And so then I get diagnosed with breast cancer completely separate from that. And it's probably, I don't know, a year later. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, I've got to tell my oncologist about this because, you know, cancer will find pathways in your brain to make any possible thing you can think of yep. mean something awful yep. about your health. Yep. So, of course, I was like, oh, my God, that aching was like my body taking cancer cells and moving them like it's it was it going from my lymph nodes like down my arm all these cancer cells like it like that throbbing was just it all going everywhere yeah it was the cancer pulsing through your body yeah clearly <laughs> which does not happen you guys by the way well this says you and says my <laughs> oncologist um <laughs> so i want to invalidate your experience amy but yeah, but I th I do think it's funny, like, even when you have cancer, like, you know, like, when you look up anything online, which is why you're not allowed to Google, it's like, it's cancer. It's, you know, it's like, I mm -hmm. stubbed my toe. It's like, you must have liver cancer. <laughs> um, but then when you really have cancer and then you go to your doctor and you're like, this, and then they're like, yeah, that has nothing to do with it, you know? Yeah, they're like, do you carry your baby on that arm? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. But like my eyes were blurry for a few weeks and I was trying to figure out what was wrong with them. So I told her that being like, of course, there's cancer in my brain now, you know. And she was like, are you up all night Googling things on your phone in the dark? <laughs> no, she was like, are you up all night with your child? And I was like, yeah. She's like, I think you're just overtired. <laughs> and ha have they stopped being blurry? Yeah, they, they stopped. But they were that way for a little while. She's like, it's just not that. <laughs> it's just not <laughs> Oh, boy. It's not that. Um, Matthew, who has squamous cell carcinoma and uh, throat cancer, diagnosed in September of 2020 and finished treatment mid-January 2021. Go, Matthew. Yeah. Says, I didn't know that neuropathy or lymphedema would happen or the cognitive issues. Mm -hmm. For example, today I feel unsteady on my feet, have the creepy crawlies, I'm struggling to use a knife and fork. I was ambushed by the neuropathy six weeks after treatment, thought I had a rash but couldn't see anything. It just ran through my system and settled in my hands and feet. Mm -hmm. I knew my hearing would be damaged, but I didn't know that it would be painful or would make it so I couldn't make out words in noisy places. I didn't know I would be a choking risk and would need a swallow therapist. Mm -hmm. So much. 
Yeah. And we we really just don't know all of the side effects of the disease, the side effects of treatment and stuff, even though, you know, the treatment obviously we hope works. That doesn't mean it's not without its downsides. Totally. And sometimes the life-saving shit is also, <laughs> you know, a little hard to deal with. Yeah, it's fucking unfair. I hate it. Yeah. Uh, Stephanie says, Hi. Basically, I was super depressed and anxious when I was being diagnosed. But then when I started treatment, even though a lot of days physically felt like shit, mentally I started to feel a little better because I was focused on treatment, counting the days of each cycle, monitoring my progress, counting down treatments. Then after my post-chemo PET scan, which was negative, it was like, okay, you're good. Uh, You're good till the next follow-up. Go back out into the world. My anxiety has skyrocketed and I had another wave of depression. I had been out of work for almost seven months at this point and didn't look like my former self anymore and felt like this weird emptiness, like the piece of me was missing. I don't know how else to describe it. I also became consumed with thoughts and nightmares about recurrence. Like lots of people say, all of the family and friends who were there to support me in the beginning, right after diagnosis, had slowly stopped reaching out and offering help. But I was still fatigued, anxious, and trying to put the pieces of my life back together. Thankfully, my husband and parents were amazingly helpful and supportive. But even though they didn't understand what I was going through mentally, they thought I was done better and should be back to quote unquote normal. Totally. Yeah. I mean, this is another reason why I think support groups are so mm-hmm. important because they get it, you know, they get it's that so treatment, normal. treatment doesn't mean you're better. Yeah. And it doesn't take two months after treatment to just be over it. Like, unless you want to just completely put a wall up and do that thing where you're just like, I'm not going to feel, I'm not going to feel. And then just like close the lid and not let anybody talk to you about it because I think that's literally the only way you can just be done with it and move on with your life because there's shit you have to process that you do not have time to process during treatment and if you're Mm -hmm. about to go into treatment or you're just starting treatment it is so overwhelming that it's okay if you can't process your mental um, health right now you know I definitely recommend getting on an antidepressant or being open to talking about that. I know that's so stigmatized, especially if you're somebody that doesn't take prescriptions or medications. But for me, it's like, if not now, when, you know, like this is a completely appropriate time to just take a little bit of the edge off, you know? Yeah. And you know, what's really funny is I've taken antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds basically forever. And I was talking to my psychiatrist who I got through my cancer center about it. And I was like, you know, I'm still depressed. I'm still really anxious, but obviously I'm going to be depressed and anxious. Like I feel like it's situational. And we were talking about upping my dose. And I was like, you know, it makes sense that I'm depressed and anxious. And he was like, yeah, it absolutely makes sense. But also like, Maybe a dose increase can help with that, you know, just because it's logical that you're depressed and anxious doesn't mean you have to struggle through it. Totally. 
Um, Absolutely. And like people, people, your oncologist will prescribe lorazepam, which is Ativan, right? To help you sleep at night or just to like get you through a scan. You know, there's no need to, to be a tough guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But not to get too sidetracked on just that portion of it, I do want to say that her point about being done with treatment and people dropping off, not contacting you, you know, like everyone just thinks that you're okay. They And part of it is because they just want you to be. I mean, yeah, you must remember not being a cancer person and just like wanting somebody to hear that they're fine. And then it's just like, oh, like now I can breathe. Like right. they're fine. And then, you know, like that's not how they're necessarily feeling. Yeah. But also like having your treatment you're doing something actively. You're doing everything you can do to fight this thing in your body and to be done with treatment. It's all you want to do. Yeah. And then once you're done, there's nothing you can be doing anymore. Right. So you're like, what do you mean I don't see you for three more months? And what do you mean I don't get to have a scan? And what do you mean? You know, so it's really it's a hard pill to swallow for people, which sounds crazy, but it's true. Yeah. I mean, I always say to people, because people ask me a lot, like, oh, is it so hard on your days when you have to, like, have all of your appointments? Because, you know, they're really great at my clinic about scheduling, you know, my blood work, my injection, my oncologist appointment all on the same day and stuff. And people always assume that that's like a terrible nerve wracking day for me. But honestly, I love it. I love showing up and just being like, here I am brilliant geniuses mm-hmm. please do your job on me yes it's so nice not having to be the boss and these people are so capable and they're good at their jobs and they're doing their best for me on those days right and i i don't know it's like having a trainer at the gym and then like them being like great you're good and then you just kind of like wander around the gym like what do i do now or yeah totally <laughs> it's so hard to be on your own once you're done mm-hmm Oh, I had like a interesting conversation with Kevin, my partner, a few weeks ago. We were talking about, I think we were talking about the podcast. Maybe it was when I was like a year out. I just had like the one year from treatment anniversary thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I know like he has a lot of anxiety about everything that went down, you know? And so like, it's hard to explain, but like, I don't want to complain a lot about yeah when I'm super worried about stuff but somehow it came up where I was like does it bother you that I still like go to support groups and do stuff like that and he was like honestly at first I kind of did think it was a little weird and I was like okay like tell me more Mm -hmm. you know and uh and he was like yeah I don't know I just kind of thought like can't we just move on? Like, I just, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to have this keep being a thing. And then you kind of like just kept going. I mean, granted it's like once a month, like I'm not like, you know, (laughs) but then he was like, but now I get it. Like I completely get it. And I don't think it's weird at all, you know? Yeah. And that was cool because, and I totally get that too, because I would have thought it was weird probably too. I don't know. It's hard to explain. No, I get it. And I think, too, it's really important if uh, your partner is open to it to have them get a therapist, too. Totally. Because it is really hard and scary for partners to see the person they love go through all of this. And then also 
like Kevin, have to deal with the aftermath and be like, why is my partner being like this? You know, Mm -hmm. we always say this. It's not the cancer person's responsibility to shepherd their loved ones through all of their emotions and reactions to our cancer. Mm -hmm. And so a therapist is the perfect person to do that. Totally. Yeah, it's true. And also it's like with him being like, why is she still doing this stuff? Like he doesn't see that like at the support group, it's literally full of people who are one year out, Mm -hmm. two years out, five years out that are still going. Maybe they don't come every month, but they're still coming and they're still not that you're never going to be over it. So most of the people that are five years out are coming to to be a resource to the newbies, you know, but still it's your home team. Mm hmm. Um, Another listener says something that was needlessly upsetting for me was not understanding how the testing, waiting, trickle of information works. Like what can you know from a mammogram versus an ultrasound versus a biopsy Mm -hmm. versus post-surgical pathology report? And why is there so much waiting? Mm -hmm. I understand now that it's not just for torture, but I didn't (laughs) understand then. And nobody really explained how the timeline worked and what to expect. This was hard for an information junkie who was trying to understand what the fuck was happening while staying away from Google. Yeah, it's so true. And there's no reason for us to have researched any of this, really, unless you're like in the medical field. Yeah. You don't know why, you know, you would get an ultrasound versus a mammogram, you know, versus a CT scan versus a PET scan, what they all tell you. Right. And the trickle of information, like we said before, that slow gathering and the goalposts moving is torturous. It is. And everybody's is different. So it's not like you can just ask somebody else that has your same type of cancer what they did and then be like, okay, so that's what I'm going to do. Because that's not how it works. Like there's so many different features and you just have to wait. Yeah. And it sucks. It really does suck. And the time between appointments is excruciating it's so awful there's nothing you can do we were just talking about this in our facebook group which is called crying in my nightgown if you want to look that up yeah and join if you're a cancer person but we were talking about just the anxiety around scans too the waiting so even when you're done with treatment oftentimes you might have to get these scans or you might not get scans which is also just as awful um and I just had to get a chest CT this last week, which was fine, but it was just follow up on blah, blah, blah. We could talk about it some other time, but, um, but everything's good. Um, but I was like, God, why can't they just secretly scan you somewhere and then you just show up to your appointment, you know, instead of like getting a scan and then waiting for the weekend and then your appointment's not till Tuesday, but then, oh no, it's in my chart. Should I look at it or should I wait till my appointment tomorrow? You know? Yep. I was like. I just want you to show up to your regular appointment and then your oncologist is like, hey, by the way, you know, when you were at Ikea a few days ago, we actually <laughs> scanned you and it looks like everything's good. Everything's great. So um, just want to let you know that. And you'll be like, what? And then even if it's like bad, I was saying like, then you, at least you can like go home and be like, well, at least I have like a shelf I can put together now to take my mind off this bad scan I had but at least I got some sleep the last few nights right right it's the worst yeah and I mean anybody who thinks that they're alone in freaking out between these appointments or like waiting for results you are not like it's a universal experience I think seriously like get the meds if you need them Mm -hmm. do whatever you have to do to get through yeah 
And it won't always be like that. Once you have the information, it's going to feel so much better. Yeah, for sure. Okay. A listener says something I realized was super naive before starting chemo was all the symptoms that they don't show you in the movies. I was prepared for the nausea fatigue. Um, (laughs) Keep it going. Keep it going. I was prepared for the nausea fatigue. (laughs) Etcetera. But constipation, achy bones, itchy scalp, adult acne. Mm -hmm. Cancer is bad enough. Why do I have to look like a pimplet teenager again? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it is wild. And I would actually very much recommend writing down your symptoms if you do chemo, because you'll find that there will be certain things that are very small that you'll kind of be like, is this chemo related or is it, you know, like the back of my throat would get really a little bit sore or maybe like kind of dry and a little achy or something, which, by the way, was real cool in the early days of COVID when that was happening. Oh, God. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no. Insert second coffin joke of the episode here. <laughs> um, but it was like my second or third chemo or something where I realized, oh, wait, this happens every time at a certain point, And then. It's like you have teeny tiny little hairs in your nasal passageway and go back down your throat or something. So like, oh. yeah. And then so like you're losing your nose hairs. Yeah. And then so you have like a runny nose sometimes because those aren't there anymore because, you know, chemo is killing the fastest growing cells in your body. And that's like why you lose your hair yeah. is because that's fastest growing cells but you have hair like teeny tiny little hair in places would never even think about they're not showing you that in the movies yeah but knowing you know like oh the bottoms of my feet feel weird when i mm-hmm. you know or just like whatever just writing the stuff down so that you can also ask your oncologist about it every time yeah also some people gain weight I feel like we Uh associate losing weight. Right. But that's not the case for everybody. Yeah, totally. You have to take steroids with chemo, by the way. Yeah. They might puff you the fuck up. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what you going to do? Yeah. Just live your life. You know what we haven't talked about yet, Mm -hmm. which was the best tip that you gave me in the very beginning of our beautiful, epic friendship? Um, Watch Bachelor in Paradise. Besides that. (laughs) (laughs) no when you're getting scanned you get the ct contrast dye injected into you you're laying there Mm -hmm. on the table Mm -hmm. and it feels like you're pissing yourself it feels like you're peeing warm pee on your body down there (laughs) and um it's mortifying and if you didn't know this you would legitimately think you were peeing your pants it's so true um and I think we, we have for sure mentioned this before, but newbies, if this is your first time visiting us, mm-hmm. um, you are not peeing your pants. The tech really <laughs> should tell you. My tech tells me that you're going to feel warmth in your throat. But I'm like, mm-hmm. I find I, the other the last time I got scanned, I was like, dude, you need to tell people that they're going to feel warmth throughout their body. I feel like yeah. the crotch is the one you should mention. Did they say, oh, thanks for the tip? Or did yeah, they say, he was like, oh, 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 yeah, you're probably right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I am it right. feels just like it. I would have seriously, if I didn't know it, I would have been like, oh, my God, how am I going to stand up? What am I going to say? How far away is my jacket to tie around my waist? <laughs> oh, man. Yes. Thank you, uh, Cancer Whisper Network, 
for <laughs> cluing, cluing us into the the common humiliations of cancer treatment. Mm-hmm. Do you want to read this one from Mary? Mary says, I'm newly diagnosed. I've said to so many people, I can't believe how many decisions you have to make when you are diagnosed with cancer, mm-hmm. all while you're not in a good mental state. Yeah. I just figured they told you what kind of cancer you have and then would say, okay, so this is how we treat it. Mm-hmm. It was really stressing me out because I felt like I could make a decision that would ultimately save my life or not. Mm-hmm. It's so much pressure for someone without the medical expertise who has just heard the words, you have cancer. Now at this point, decisions have been made and I'm not changing course. I just had to accept the final outcome is really out of my control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so hard. I mean, it's great that there are so many choices, you know, like because chemo and radiation um, both have their downsides as Mm -hmm. well as, you know, the phenomenal healing aspects that they have. and you want to be well informed, but when you're in a total existential crisis, right? It's not ideal. And it is a thing where you think, okay, they're going to find out what type of cancer I have or whatever, and then give me the chemo that fights that cancer. And then that's that. But sometimes it really is your doctor saying, okay, so this test result came back and it looks like there would be a slight benefit to chemo, but without chemo, your chance of recurrence is blocked. Mm-hmm. You know, like it might be like, I hate to even use numbers because people are so different. And I don't want to say like, if I say 15% and yours is way more than that or way less than that, that that's weird at all. But like, let's say it's yeah. 15% and chemo would benefit you three percentage points. It's like, Do you want to go through the side effects? Do you want to go through that you might have neuropathy in your fingers and your feet? Do you want to go through just all of that for just those three tiny little percentage points, you know? Yeah. And for some people, the answer is no, and that's totally valid. Uh But I think, too, we have this perception in our minds about chemo, and it's not the same across the gamut of chemotherapies. You know, I'm on an oral chemotherapy and my side effect is mainly diarrhea. You know, I have fatigue also. There are still some chemotherapies that like knock you the fuck out, like what we associate with typical chemotherapy, like lots of nausea, lots of, you know, feeling like garbage. Mm-hmm. But Amy, you didn't have that experience when you did chemo. Yeah, I didn't. I was definitely tired. I definitely felt and I did a chemo called CT, which is cytoxin, which is such a creepy name. And taxotere, which is a milder chemo. It really is in the the full, you know. It's the rosé of chemo. (laughs) It is the (laughs) rosé. But it still sucks. And I still have, I'm still aware that I went through it through different side effects of my body that are much better than I probably would be dealing with if I had done the Red Devil or something. But every day was doable that I did through chemo. There wasn't one day that I was just laying in bed sick and with zero energy. I mean, there was maybe a day that I wanted to lay in bed all day because, like, I could and I was lazy and whatever. But there's, you know, like, I could have gotten up or whatever. But there was literally no single day that I was so ill that I was just head under a blanket. Yeah. But there are these, there's like a handful of shitty days 
and then you kind of feel normal. Like you kind of feel, or at least I did, like there's something I'm aware of going on in my body, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's just a very odd feeling. It's just like, it's hard to describe, but it's not like awful, but there's definitely something going on, you know? And that's kind of how I felt for most of my days that weren't kind of the shittier days, you know? Yeah. And there are great drugs available to combat whatever symptoms you're having. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're having nausea, there's medication for that. If you're having sleep issues, um, they've got that. Right. Yeah. So, you know, we've come a long way. Medicine is not what it was during the heyday of cancer movies Mm -hmm. where they showed people being very sickly. Totally. And sad. And and like skinny. And like, can I also say as far as the fact that there are all these tests that are done to determine recommendations for your course of treatment. I have noticed on a lot of these like national cancer groups that are for cancer patients and there's like 20,000 members and I have had to leave most of these groups that Mm -hmm. and like I'm in one of them that I kind of just like sporadically look at just for the fuck of it but um (laughs) for the people watching a little bit because I mean we've talked about it before where sometimes people are very ill-informed and Mm -hmm. it's a bummer because you're like okay what part of the country does this person live in and like what kind of medical care is offered in that area and like why don't they have the most updated facts because what this person is commenting is a fucking myth or whatever yeah but that aside people have all sorts of opinions about treatments that Like people will say stuff about someone's like that, like an Oncotype score. That's like a test that they do for, I think, just hormone positive breast cancer that helps to determine if you should do chemo or not and like the benefit for that. And then there's like a number that you get. So I just always watch people say like, oh, you're a 17. Oh, shit. You should definitely do chemo. I was only a 15 and I was told, you know, yeah, but. It's based on your age, too, Mm -hmm. and no one's ever taking that into account. So for some people, a 20 is, like, high enough to do chemo. Yeah. That was, I think, was my cutoff for my age was 20, and I was, like, 18 or something or 17, and then I ended up doing chemo anyway because of blah, blah, blah. But people always be like, oh, geez, like, you know, but it's such a weird thing to just watch everyone have such an opinion. Yeah. When you're like, no. Yeah. I mean, I think that the groups are great for, you know, ideas for managing your side effects, Mm -hmm. for commiserating, but not for medical advice in any way, shape or form. I mean, when it's a small local group, I feel like it's like real people talking to real people. But then like the bigger and the more national it gets, it's just like keyboard warriors. It's just like any group where you're like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, it's a shit show. Um, You were bald and I have never lost my hair because of medication. Do you want to give some tips about what it's like to be bald? Sure. Um, I read some like terrifying statistic that I still don't believe. It was like, I had to like relook it up about people refusing chemo because they didn't want to go bald. Like having that be the deciding factor, please. Wow. Yikes. Please just do not let that be a deterrent. I know it's scary. It's a very tough pill to swallow, but it's sort of like 
anything once you kind of jump over that ledge, it's almost a little bit better. Not it's not better to be bald. That's not what I mean. But it's better than <laughs> you know. For some people, maybe it's better to be bald. That's true. But I don't think it's as bad as you think. And I mean, depending on how long your chemo is, it's not, you know, like my hair was already growing back within like a month after yeah. chemo to the point where, I mean, even when I was in radiation, I was like perfectly comfortable not just having a bald head and walking around, you know? Yeah. But one thing I, my best advice that I got from actually my support group, I think, and I had long ass hair. My hair was like super, super long for me, at least. I mean, maybe like a couple inches above my belly button and definitely like, I don't know, maybe four inches below my boob. The advice was get a few haircuts before you start losing your hair or lose it enough that you need to actually do the shave. Yeah. Not just for taking those steps towards becoming bald, but so that you have something to look at when you're bald and feeling ugly and maybe feeling puffy or feeling just like not as attractive as everyone around you thinks you look. Um, <laughs> but then you can look at the picture of you with like the cute ass pixie that you never would have pictured you in. Like I had a pixie that nowhere in my life would I have ever just cut a pixie and thought I could ever pull that off but I looked pretty darn cute with a pixie and I was fucking shocked so by the time I was bald I was like okay the next step for hair regrowth is going to be that fun pixie stage like my end goal wasn't having my hair down past my boob that wasn't like that overwhelming this isn't going to be I'm not going to be me again for years yeah it was like Okay, I've seen the pixie, I've seen the shoulder length bob, and I've seen the weird ass bowl cut that I kind of did as a joke, (laughs) but not going to lie, I might do again. But it does make you feel like you could look different than you always have. But yeah, I don't know. But there's so much heaviness around it. You know, for me, I was like, you know, I was 39. And for some reason, like that handful of years of turning 40 and everything, it's just like, you know, when you're 39, you still kind of could look 37 or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. But like when you're 43, you probably look more 41 than 37, you know. <laughs> yes. And so, I mean, probably I'm not a scientist. <laughs> but I just remember kind of being like, I am never going to look like me again. Like I'm, I've always had long hair. And by the time I could ever possibly have long hair again, I'm going to be like fucking 43 you know like yeah i'm a 30 something person and i look like a 30 something person and i'm gonna be like an older woman yeah uh, older woman <laughs> it's like anything where once you just do it you're like actually i'm just fucking me like who gives a fuck yeah yeah i don't know totally but it is such a trip because then you look like a fucking cancer person and then you look like everybody you've known that has had cancer and died where you're suddenly just like thinking you're watching yourself in this movie where all the people in the movie die and it's very hard but just just move through it yeah somebody wrote in to say to just echo what you're saying there that being bald for them was both extremely difficult and super liberating it's a little like wearing your illness which can suck at times 
but it also forces you to dig deep and let go of whatever fucks you give about what other people think of you. Mm-hmm. You have more important shit to do than care about what anyone thinks of your hair. Like, you know, live. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. And like, that's that's not to debase the true loss that a lot of people feel when they lose their hair. Mm-hmm. But really, you know, it grows back and you you get to stay alive. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's great. We like that part. And also, like, when else in your life do you get to be someone that people feel sorry for in a grocery store? You know? <laughs> it's like, this is your one chance. It's your one chance to get the best seat on the bus every damn time. Um, if you don't have a baby, I just recommend, like, borrowing someone's stroller and taking walks with it. <laughs> if you want to really ham up the, like, sad looks. Cause... <laughs> oh, man. It's it. it is weird though because you're like you still are you but you're seeing yourself through other people's eyes as you're watching yourself move through because like you know you're like cast yourself in a window and you're like i cannot believe that this is me right now and then yeah i don't know i guess like before i was a cancer person i never really thought when i would see somebody that was wearing a scarf or clearly was bald i would never think that they were thinking like i cannot fucking believe this is me i just thought that they were like one of those people that wasn't me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What about eyebrows? This mm-hmm. uh, this person also said the eyebrows are almost worse than the than the hair. Find a friend who's mm-hmm. good at makeup to help you draw those on, especially if you're working mm-hmm. through your treatment, which, yeah. Oh, my God. Being eyebrowless, that has to be a real hard one. It depends on what kind of chemo you get. Some chemos you don't lose it with. Some you do. I had a brilliant idea that I wanted to look into to see if it actually works, but microblading your eyebrows before you lose them. Microblading is like that really natural looking, I mean, depends on where you go, um, temporary (laughs) tattoos that last for like months and months that people do to like thicken out their eyebrows. Yeah. So once you actually lose your brows, that is still there and then you can draw on, but like that is your shape. Like, yeah, you've got like a template. Yeah. And I thought I was brilliant. I was like, this has to be a thing. And so I was about to look it up. But before I even could remember to look it up, one of these cancer accounts we follow on Instagram did a thing asking about it. And then all these people wrote back and said, yes, it totally works. It might have been the cancer person. I can't remember. Yeah. That's smart. And so uh, microblading is something you can do. I have a friend that learned how to draw her brows on by watching RuPaul's Drag Race. Which sounds cool. But I'm sure there's YouTube and makeup products that are more recommended than others but yeah yeah i didn't lose mine but they thinned um some people say that their bald skin was less sensitive than they were expecting but other people said it was more sensitive and a lot of people talked about how cold their little heads were as being a surprise and i was totally surprised by that as well just like how do bald people just walk around like men who are bald <laughs> like the wind yeah. blows and you're like oh all i can feel is how cold my little head is oh i got some bamboo sleeping cups or my friend jen actually gave me some that she had used and they were the best because they were so thin that you couldn't really feel like you were wearing a something because that's the other thing is people give you all these hats and scarves and all these things but then when you wear them you're so aware yeah that you have something weird on your head yeah so it's just not comfortable but these really thin soft bamboo ones were just enough to like 
take the chill away. Yeah. I'll put a link to the bamboo ones that some lady on Etsy sells them. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, somebody said that it hurts to regrow hair. Did you have that experience? Um, I don't remember if it hurt when it was growing. It hurt when it, I was losing it, though, which was really surprising to me. And when I finally was losing so much of it that I had to buzz it, I just thought, oh, I'll just buzz it and then I'll just lose the tiny little hairs and that will be less awkward than, you know, when they're a little bit longer than that. Yeah. But then when it was buzzed, it would actually hurt. Like when I'd put my head back on my pillow and stuff, my pillow would like poke the hairs into my scalp. And Oh, no. Yeah. So I know some people say use a lint roller. If you have a buzz cut, you can lint it and then a lot of it will come out, which is kind of cool. But I ended up just having to go to a barbershop and get it fucking bicked. And then it didn't hurt at all. And it was great. Oh, good. Yeah. Good tip. Yeah. Somebody um, wanted everyone to remember to put sunscreen oh, on your little bald head. Totally. <laughs> oh, and somebody else said that they had a phantom hair. Or they tried taking their hair out of ponytails in the shower. Um, and a razor shaved head feels lovely. Rubbing oil on it was great. This person says, Oh, luxurious. I, I like rubbing my head. Um, one thing though, I will say about the taking that leap into the baldness that was like really emotional and crazy too, is like, that does seem like that moment in the movie you see where like someone's shaving someone else's hair and maybe one of them is crying the hair is all falling you know it's just like such the yeah. cancer moment you know and so i don't know i had a lot of weight with that moment and then i ended up having to just kind of like keep it light just to get through it you know and just kind of like move through yeah. it and not have it be this sentimental you know thing but yeah yeah and now your hair looks so cute i mean depends on the day it's true for all of us i mean well i think that wraps up our advice for people yeah we definitely will have way more and we will definitely be doing some advice for folks that are metastatic or late stage we wanted to keep them separate because i know they're just two different things mm -hmm. they are yeah and we want to be sensitive to the Sweet little early stage babies who are scared as a motherfucker and they don't want to hear about scary ass shit that they already are hearing stuff that's too scary to handle. You don't want to be hearing. Mm -hmm. We'll spare your tender hearts. We'll spare you. Hey, we do need to do some shout outs, though, for our uh, Patreons and our buy me a coffees. We do. People are donating to the podcast which is so amazing like it really it really helps us a lot and even the smallest amount is is just it blows my mind it's so generous totally yeah and we're giving shout outs to anyone who donates ten dollars or more a month and i think that we did shout everybody out once before but we couldn't remember um and so we're just doing everybody again so if you've already gotten a shout out you get it again you get it again and yeah, I think we accidentally cut them out of our last episode. Whoops. But Carol Heimberger. Thank you. Vicky McClure. 
Thank you, David Diles. Mm-hmm. Becky Owens. Elizabeth Stewart. And Maggie Beam. Thank you all so much. Thank we love you. Thank you so much. And thank everybody else who has donated any amount. Yeah. It's so kind and generous. Helps us keep the lights on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have... Uh, rats? I do. I do have rats. There's not a whole ton of information about it, but it is such an exciting development. Um, and the whole internet, the cancer, cancer Twitter <laughs> is, is a flutter with this news. The cancer Twitter? Yeah. Onco Twitter, I believe is what they call it. Mm. <laughs> um, but there is an amazing, amazing new development for metastatic breast cancer, which is my personal affliction. They have been doing these trials in mice, and they have discovered a drug that rapidly shrinks metastatic breast cancers in those mice. It's huge. I know, right? Uh, The drug is called ERSO. Mm -hmm. And um, so the deal with metastatic breast cancer is you get breast cancer in your breast. Um, It typically moves to your lymph nodes in your armpit. And then it spreads to your brain or your lungs or your bones or your liver. And that's what eventually ends up shortening your life. So, you know, they're always looking for drugs that don't lose their efficacy. And that's the the main problem because you have, you know, some really, really effective drugs out there right now. Mm-hmm. But the cancer eventually outsmarts the drug. And uh, then you have to move on to your next line of treatment. So the ERSO... The cancer cells don't appear to become resistant to them, and that's totally different than the current options for metastatic breast cancer treatment. So um, the drug works by overactivating a cellular mechanism that usually protects the cancer cells. It works on both the primary tumor and the metastatic lesions. So this uh, has only been performed on mice. They haven't moved into human trials yet, but it's a really promising study and I cannot wait to hear more about it. We immediately, of course, followed the authors of the study on Twitter and um, they're so cute. They look like they're about 14 years old. So They are 14. Kids today are so smart. They, they really are. No, they must be like grad students or something, right? Oh, clearly they're adults. I, I think that they are. But I mean, I'm saying grad students as if a grad student yeah. is a 14 year old. Like <laughs> they're very young. Yeah, um, they, they do look really young. And I just um, I'm so grateful that there are people who will devote their lives to these kinds of studies. And, you know, I like I said, I just can't wait to hear what comes of this. It's so amazing. Obviously, we're probably many years out from from seeing the results of a human trial. But Still, Hopefully great not news. too many, though. It's, I'm waiting, you guys. It's so amazing because it shrinks it in, like, brain, in the organs. Like, it is working to completely, like, they're using the words cure. Yeah. I mean, they, they are saying that it it eliminates 
the tumors. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this is for hormone receptor positive metastatic cancers. Always we're hoping that there will be these kinds of effective treatments for all of the metastatic cancers, um, you know, triple negative cancers. Of course. Also, you know, they they have a more dire diagnosis usually. And so, you know, happy to see this happening, but also fingers crossed for our triple negative SIBs. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, good news. I'm going to put it in the I'm going to put this medical news today article. And I think I'll link to the main study also in the show notes so you guys can read what they have to say about it. Cross your fingers. It's awesome. I mean, I am just like so scared of recurrence and being metastatic, but now I'm not. So I'm just going to go buy some Marlboro Reds right now (laughs) and live my life out of fear. Um, Just kidding. Just kidding. Can I just say, though, I did look up these people on Instagram as well that wrote this stuff. And Mm -hmm. one of them... I don't want you to go look for it because he's going to he said this is a vulnerable post. <laughs> so uh-huh. I, I, I feel we Amy and I disagree on, on the vulnerable quality of this post. <laughs> well, um, I, I see it more as a thirst trap, but OK, so he posted saying as this very long post and the photo is very like him being very buff like he's been weight training and yeah he's like a bodybuilder he's a bodybuilder looking person suddenly and then the second photo is him being just like a regular you know science guy (laughs) and the post is like this is very vulnerable of me but i just wanted to say like i've not always been the most confident and blah 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 and i wanted to share this because da 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 da. and then he goes on to say that he suffers from imposter syndrome and explains that a little bit and i was just reading this i screenshot it i was sending it to steph i was sending Mm -hmm. it to jessica boudreau and just like other of my cancer friends just laughing being like this dude is literally curing one of the deadliest cancers that affect you know he's saving lives you're curing cancer potentially and you have imposter syndrome i know if that doesn't say that like imposter syndrome is bullshit i don't know what else does (laughs) or that it's like Yes, exactly. He's a literal bodybuilder who is also curing breast cancers. Yeah. But he's, (laughs) yeah, it's amazing. It is amazing. And I will just never forget that. And I love it so much. Anyway, so I'm on his team, though. I'm on his team. Yeah, I'm on his team, too. I feel like he could uh, both carry me out of a burning building and (laughs) (laughs) possibly cure my cancer. And. In, in his own way, this circle circles us back to the beginning of the episode where we're talking about taking a little bit more care with their health, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't plan to become a bodybuilder. <laughs> I hope you'll accept. Just a spin instructor. <laughs> accept me as I am. We do. Huffing and puffing up that hill. That's right. All right. Well, thanks for listening to Cancer for Breakfast. You can follow us on Instagram at cancer for breakfast also buy us a coffee there's links to all that stuff on our instagram also in the show notes yeah rate review subscribe if you if you don't mind five star reviews would be really great we've got a bunch of them already um but we always need a little bit more validation i'm not gonna lie we do um because we have imposter syndrome we do (laughs) 
This isn't even a podcast. This is just a mixtape. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Sorry. Um, oh, send us some stuff. If you are metastatic, if you're a late stager, if you're a lifer, what has been helpful to you? What would you want to be told that you had to figure out the hard way that would be helpful for someone newer into the game? Yeah. Send us that shit. You can always email us at cancerforbreakfast at gmail.com. Also, sex stuff. We have long teased this episode. Um, there were some sound quality issues the last time we tried to record it, but we wanted to make sure that our guest for this episode is coming through loud and clear because she is a badass. Yeah, totally. Um, but we want to hear from everybody with like, you know, limb amputations, with ostomies, with scars. With no libido. With no libido. Yeah. I mean, all of the things that cancer does to our bodies In some cases. as we think about sex. Um Send in your thoughts. I'm bound to go on this podcast over. Bye. Cancer for Breakfast is hosted by Amy Diles and Stephanie Lejeunesse and produced by Nathan McGeehy. Our theme music is written and performed by Vivivir. Find us at cancerforbreakfast.com, Instagram at cancerforbreakfast, and email at cancerforbreakfast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening.